welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things English Football Pyramid. On today's episode, Haaland missing chances whilst everyone has him triple captained on FPL. We'll look at Arsenal's form pre and post the winter break. Salah's back for Liverpool and firing, but injuries for Curtis Jones, Yotta and Nunes. Oliver Glasner's in finally at Palace. We'll review the key games from the EFL, including QPR winning the Premier Pod Cup against Bristol City and a rare loss for Leicester. And we'll finish with Lauro, who will talk us through Yeovil's weekend win versus having at Waterlooville. Their midweek fixture tomorrow versus Western Supermare, and it's also his turn for a trivia question. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and hopefully soon, Tom Gallagher. Lauro, start with Man City-Chelsea. So, uh, one all in that game. You've spoken before about not being totally convinced with Man City this season. They just seem to be a little bit missing. But one thing that was glaringly obvious at the weekend was that Erling Haaland wasn't in his normal ruthless self and missed some key, key opportunities there against Chelsea. Yeah, I just think that goes to show the level that Erling Haaland has set. Like, it's a massive news story when he doesn't score. And although that on another day, he probably would have had two or three goals that day, it also goes to show that without his goals, they're susceptible to dropping points, way more so than they have been in the last few seasons, in my opinion. And I've mentioned before, I think, um, obviously Kevin De Bruyne being injured for a lot of the season, but the, the loss particularly of players like Ilkay Gundogan and Riyad Mahrez, I'm not sure they've replaced their goals specifically their goals or goal involvements. For instance, Doku looks like a really lively player. He's quick, he can beat a man, but his end product isn't quite there. Jack Grealish had probably his best season last season in the Man City shirt, but didn't really get the goals and assists. And I think it just goes to show that when Erling Haaland does miss his chances, all of a sudden you can drop two points and two points at home, which is quite rare for Man City. So... um generally speaking, a point against Chelsea doesn't look like the end of the world, but this isn't the Chelsea of years gone by, and it's a game that they would have definitely earmarked as um, a maximum and hoping to keep up their title charge. So, of course, they're still banging the hunt, and if they win the game in hand, they'll be second, but it's advantage for me to probably Liverpool and even Arsenal with their momentum at the moment. So, yeah, two points drop for sure for City, but Haaland will be back. It wouldn't surprise me if he scores a hat-trick tomorrow. Yeah, just on Chelsea, I think you said a couple pods ago, actually, there might be some signs of kind of glimmers of hopes for Chelsea fans for the future with some of the players that they've got, all of their new signings being a year older for next season. They're now into a cup final. They're still in the FA Cup. They've picked up actually some points in against the big sides and had some decent performances, but seem to drop silly points. Do you think that there's just a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for Chelsea with with going to like the Etihad and picking up a point and looking quite dangerous in spells? Yeah, there's definitely room for optimism. But like we've said before, when you have a very young assembled squad like they do, um, inconsistency is generally something that shows itself. And that's the that's the that's exactly what you've just explained. They'll, they'll pick up points in games where you weren't expecting them to. And every now and again, like they did in the FA Cup against Aston Villa the other day, um, go and trounce someone, but then they'll go and lose 4-1 at home to Wolves or then they'll go and drop points against a Bournemouth or someone like that. And that's the things you need to cut out if you're going to sustain, again, at the moment they're probably not even thinking about the title, but certainly a challenge for the top four, which they're not going to get this season. So, um, yeah, consistency is something they need to build. But they've got loads of brilliant young players. We know Enzo Fernandez is going to be, or already is a really good player. Cole Palmer is 
10 times the player that I thought he was going to be. So fair play to him. And if they can get all these boys working in conjunction with the sort of ready-made products that they've got, like we know Raheem Serlin is, and like we're hoping probably, or Chelsea fans are hoping, um, the likes of Nkuku are, and then maybe one or two more sensible additions in the summer, rather than either someone really young and expensive or, or really old and past it, then uh, yeah, things will be looking brighter. But this season's kind of in terms of the league, a little bit of a write-off. I don't think they've got an awful lot to play for, but if they can get some silverware under their belts, then maybe that's one that you can kind of let Maurizio Pochettino off with and expect him to build next season on. So, of course, going to the Etihad and getting the, getting a point, not many teams do that. So, in that regard, fantastic for them. Yeah, two sides who are obviously in the title race with City. We want to start with Arsenal. Arsenal won 5-0 at Burnley. I've looked at their stats. They've now won five in a row, Arsenal. Before the winter break, they had one win in seven before that. It looks like this time off's done them absolute wonders. They're scoring goals for fun, beating Liverpool, trounced West Ham, trounced Burnley. And they look to be picking up momentum right at the right time in a title race. Yeah. And when we spoke about it at the start of the season, I picked Arsenal to win the league. And if you ask me right now who my bet to win the league would be, it would actually be Arsenal. And I think we spoke about the win they had against Liverpool a few games ago being a catalyst, can they then jump on that and kind of let that spearhead their charge towards um, first place in the table? And since then, they've put a load past West Ham. They put Burnley to the sword at the weekend. They're getting goals from all over the pitch. Um, Gabriel and Saliba in particular just look like the best defensive partnership in the Premier League by a mile to me at the moment and probably in world football. And quite often when you have a platform on a base like that in a team it's it bodes very very well for um what silverware you get at the end of the season and obviously the only one that Arsenal really care about this season um will be the Premier League or that'll be the one at the forefront of their mind because they haven't won it for 20 years and I just see them learning from last season Mikel Arteta at the weekend spoke about competition within the squad coming to the fore now and allowing that to help everyone's game stay at a certain level. We can see the likes of Trossard coming in and scoring goals now haven't scored at the weekend. Um, Declan Rice has been imperious all season. And I just think it feels like it might be coming together for them more than it is every other team. Um, not being disrespectful to Liverpool, we're 25 games in and they're top of the league. So, of course, they've still got to be considered as one of the the very um, top sides in the league and one of the favourites to win it. But I just fancy Arsenal now. What about you? Yeah, I, to be honest, I think you're right. I think that they've, they are learning from it. I actually, a couple of weeks ago during that winter break, it's not a uh, a big statement, but I, I thought that they were fading and that this was just going to be the hallmark of Arsenal sides as they get themselves into situations where they're in a title race, but ultimately fade and the sort of prior learnings of Liverpool and Man City would mean that they'd go on and and run away from Arsenal but I'm really impressed with them and I think you speak about the Saliba and Gabriel partnership they've also got Declan Rice who's now sat in front of them and dominating the midfield that they didn't have last year Uh, and it reminds me a little bit actually albeit United weren't in a title race last year Varane and Martinez were getting like lauded as this amazing centre-back partnership that had developed at Man United but they also had Casemiro who obviously came in and had a great season last season sat in front of them and I just think that Declan Rice move has been transformative for Arsenal he's 
chips in with assists and goals now. He's also absolute legs in, in midfield. I think he's got the most distance covered for Arsenal. Um, we all know what he can do defensively as well. So I think he's been a massive, massive sign-in. I think the fact that there's been big calls about they've not got the striker to score the goals to win them the league as well in the last few weeks has been put to bed because they've got three against Liverpool, six against West Ham and five against Burnley. So, yeah, I think they are they're peaking right at the right time and I, I really fancy them to, to go really, really close this year. Yeah, that's the big point is the goals, isn't it? I think the first half of this season, a lot of it, we were, I mean, they were still good, but we're talking about the very top level. I don't think Saka, particularly Odegaard and probably Martinelli were at a level they were at last season and they still managed just to pick up the results or enough results to keep themselves right in it. And now you look at the last few games, Saka's got a couple of braces. Odegaard's back on the score sheet, getting man of the match performances. Trossard and Martinelli have got that kind of, um, like we've alluded to, squad rotation where if one of them doesn't play well, the other one can come in. And that's without Gabriel Jesus scoring any goals or playing very much in recent weeks. So, um, it, like I said before, I think it's all falling into place for Arsenal um, to be in their hands. They've still got to go and do it. And they've still got, uh, you know, what, 13 games left to go and be better than everyone else but I just feel like they might have more than anyone else on the running I know Jurgen Klopp will have a lot to say about that and so will Pep Guardiola but yeah they were my better at the start of the season I'm pleased to see that they're they're right in amongst it now because uh, I think they're looking pretty pretty unstoppable at the moment pretty formidable yeah, they've got um, Champs League football back this week. They go away to uh, Portugal. They've got Porto. Uh, and then at the weekend, they have got Newcastle at home. And I just think that it will be those games which last year, you know, thinking back to like the Southampton 3 all draw and those sort of things that Arsenal won't let happen this year. And it might come down to the game against Man City that they'll have between now and the end of the season uh, for that. But one side we can't, Right off, Laura, as you've touched on, is Liverpool. Liverpool won 4-1 at Brentford. I must admit, a fixture I looked at and thought, potential banana skin, Brentford can be good at home. They've got Ivan Tony, Neil Morpai starting scoring some goals. We know what Brentford can be like. But Liverpool were absolutely ruthless. Got Mo Salah come back in and scoring. A bit of a uh, blow for Jurgen Klopp and Curtis Jones, Yotta and Nunes all going off in the first half or at half-time. Um but they were absolutely brilliant, I thought, against Brentford. And as you say, I don't think they're going to go down without a fight for the title. No, a vintage Jurgen Klopp team again. I mean, Endo, McAllister and Jones was the starting three midfielders there. Do you know what I mean? On paper, it just looks worlds, worlds below like Man City. But he just gets a tune out of his team in playing certain ways. And one thing that we said in our group chat over the weekend that I think is just worth saying again, I mean, Mo Salah comes on, hasn't played in, what, five, six weeks, been injured, been away with Egypt, comes in, goal, assist, off the bench. The guy is absolutely inevitable and is one of the greatest players that we've ever seen in the Premier League. And that isn't an overstatement. I can think of that... Not even a handful that I would definitely put above him. Probably Thierry Henry, Cristiano Ronaldo, but even he didn't have the longevity that Salah's produced over the last probably seven or eight seasons now. And I was asked whether he'd be in the all-time Premier League eleven for me. He absolutely would, and he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet. So whilst Liverpool have got Mo Salah, and whilst they've got Jurgen Klopp, which I know is only going to be for this season, they will be right in amongst it. And I just think it's uber impressive that they can do it with a team that, for me, on paper, just looks so powerful to everyone else um, that's in the mix, i.e. Arsenal, Man City. 
in terms of household names, but they have probably got the best household name in Mo Salah. And uh, like I said, if he keeps scoring and assisting like he always does and blowing te- help blowing teams like Brentford away 4-1, then the world's their oyster. And again, it all contributes towards this three-horse title race probably that we've got now that we've been talking about for some time. And it's really exciting going into the closing stages, knowing that it's not just Man City running away from it. And if anyone is dropping points like this weekend, it is Man City. So all coming together quite nicely. Three teams banging it. All of them are very good and got their own strengths. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, won't it? It will indeed. And I just wanted to say that um, we're still waiting on news on the Nunes injury. Um, Apparently an Egyptian paper uh, today did an article or released a a bit of breaking news that apparently Salah aggravated the hamstring injury um, that's seen him out since the AFCON. Uh, and they're they're waiting on news for that on whether he's going to be available because obviously they go into the cup final this weekend against Chelsea potentially Jotterless, Nunesless, uh, and Salahless if he's injured, uh, which alongside Curtis Jones and I think Trent's still out would mean that Liverpool are severely under strength from what their starting eleven would be. But it would just be Jurgen Klopp, as you say, to get the tune out of the players that he does, Loro, to uh, still go on and win that that cup final. Yeah, I think they'll probably still go on and win the cup final. But if those that handful of players, particularly Salah, at this stage of the season, is missing for any more than probably a week and a half, then that'll that'll put a major dent in things because they need him firing. They need him at his best, provided the goal contributions that he does in order to make sure that they can either stay at the top of the level or still stay in and around Arsenal, Man City. So, yeah, that's, that'll be big news for them to know what the extent of that possible injury is to the hamstring. Hopefully for, for them and neutrals, really, it's not too bad. Right, delighted to say we've been joined by uh, Tomo now. Tomo, how are you? Yeah, sorry about that, mate. That's Car all right, trouble. no worries. Can't be helped. No, no worries at all. We've just been reflecting on the, uh, the the big boys at the top of the Prem and just want to bring you in um, to talk about United, actually. So timing's quite good on that one. United versus Luton. Obviously, Ten Hag's come out and said after the win that we're now in the top four race. He's accepted that after being a bit kind of uh, dismissive of it up to now. Hoyland Brace... Cobby Mainu, obviously, the positives, but just a little bit on their performance at Kenilworth Road. Um, bipolar, completely. <laughs> yeah. Really hard to um, to analyse, really, because we seem so easy to play against, yet quite. And I suppose this is this is the one difference from earlier on in the season. We actually look quite good going forward now, with the likes of um, got well Garnacho on the right. I think sort of found a little bit of a position for himself. Rashford's. He's not quite where he was, but he looks a little bit more confident. Hoyland, of course, scoring his sixth and seventh goal in his last six Premier League games. He's banging form. And that um, sort of the biggest example of that was that second finish because I, I heard talk that he might have, it, like, it just hit him and it went in, but absolutely not. I thought he completely changed the angle of his body position and, and guided that in with his chest. And I thought that was a fantastic finish. And he looks like a proper number nine now. And at 20 years old, looks like the sky's the limit for him. So, yeah. So, yeah, look, 
some promising signs um, going forward. But once again, we look so feeble like on the way back. Casemiro looks like he's he's aged 10 years overnight. Um, we look a little bit easy to get at. We, I think we conceded 22 shots against Luton, which is the eighth time we've conceded 20 or more shots this season, which is it's unbelievable. Because I, I listened to a podcast this morning um, about that game and they said that in Jurgen Klopp's whole tenure at, at Liverpool, they've conceded 20 or more shots like twice in the Premier League. Yeah, and, twice and ever. He, yeah, twice ever, which is a crazy stat when you think of how like Liverpool's style of play is supposed to be like chaotic and, and um, heavy metal stuff. But the reality of that is, is actually they're quite hard to play against and they're quite hard to even get a shot against. Um, but United, at the minute, we seem to be um, very easy to play against. And actually, I think Luton were probably good, like good value for a draw. And obviously, if Ross Barkley's header in the last second goes in, then it's probably a fair result, even though I do think United did miss a lot of chances, especially in the yeah. second half. Yeah, yeah. Hoyland has a chance for a hat-trick. Garnacho, Dallow, Bruno Fernandes all tried to go round uh, Kaminsky, the keeper. I wonder if they've been told that that was like his weakness or something like that, because Hoyland did it for the first goal and then Garnacho, Dallow and Fernandes did it. It might just be the style of United's play where they play these over-the-top balls and so the keeper sort of comes towards them. So it's natural to go round the keeper rather than build up, play and shoot him. But it seemed like that was a tactic that United were trying to do to go round him. But um, he had a really good game. And yeah, it's just typical United that after seven minutes, you're thinking, right, maybe this zero goal difference, we can really make a dent in the positive uh, frame of mind and then five minutes later Morris has scored and it ended up being a shaky finish as well and just one final thing Tomo that I just want to pick up on I cannot believe Bruno Fernandes had a shot in that 92nd minute with a minute and a half to go um, of added time with five or six United shirts around him and he's had a dig or tried to put a ball across and they've then gone and got that corner where Barkley clipped the bar as I think there's question marks about him as club captain sometimes anyway, just because of his personality and style. But uh, that that could have been disastrous for him. Yeah, it could have been. But look, it wasn't in the end of the day. Luckily for him and for United, the header of Ross Barkley hit the bar and went over. So maybe we should reserve judgment for times when Bruno actually does cost us because fortunately for him, he didn't this time. It didn't this time. Indeed. Boys, I just want to look ahead to Monday Night Football quickly. So Roy Hodgson has left Crystal Palace uh, today and Oliver Glasner, who we touched on on the last pod, is now in. I doubt he's in time for him to be in the dugout this evening versus Everton. But Loro, that's quite a big fixture now, Palace versus Everton, with how both are getting on uh, in the table. I think both of those sides desperately need the three points. They definitely both need the three points desperately. That's an understatement. Very similar stage of the season last year. Crystal Palace, Palace played Leeds and Leeds had turned a bit of a corner um, prior to that and looked like we were in quite good shape to uh, to stay up. We were 1-0 up at half-time and then for, or just before half-time, Palace equalised and then we ended up losing the game 5-1 at home and it just turned everything on its head and that was 
at a time where Palace were looking a bit precarious as well. And it looks very similar to me. Like, if Palace win this game, they'll be in 27 points. Probably going to need 37 to stay up. You'd back them to get 10 points, wouldn't you, out of the last 13 games. But if they lose, Everton will be back up above Luton. Luton are playing quite good at the moment, even though they're not getting the results in the last couple of weeks. And it just drags you into it. And then all of a sudden, each fixture you play starts looking harder. And as games go on, you wonder where the points are going to come from. So absolutely massive game in that regard for Crystal Palace. And Everton, I mean, they're even more in the in the woods, aren't they? They need every single point they can get. So must win for both sides. And, you know, it's the old-fashioned cliche, six-pointer, which I do believe in. One of them can get three points and stop the other one getting three points. So... Massive, massive, massive game at the foot of the Premier League tonight. And uh, yeah, welcome to the Premier League, whatever your name is, Glasner. (laughs) (laughs) Oliver. Oliver. Just on FPL before we move on as well, boys, we got City and Liverpool both double game week so far. How's it gone for you guys? I spoke about lots of people triple captain in Haaland. Was that something you both did alongside myself? Yeah. Um, I accidentally triple captained Haaland earlier on in the season. Um, if, I think we've had the conversation. So I, I'm i actually, I've captained Haaland, but in a weird, perverse kind of way, him not getting any points is probably benefiting me because obviously everyone's getting three times the points and I'm only getting two times the points. Yeah, I, I have triple captain him. I've got Foden and Ake as well. And then I've got... Uh, Diogo Yotta for Liverpool, who I brought in, but that's going to be um, a bit of a disastrous move for me because he's now injured and then they've got a blank game week, so I'll need to get rid of him fairly quickly. We'll move on to the Championship, Tomo. Um, Premier Pod Cups change hands again as well. Um, QPR won at Bristol City, a bit like London buses that. We waited for it to change hands for weeks and weeks and weeks, and now it's starting to pick up a bit of momentum and probably do what we were hoping the Premier Pop Cup does and change hands throughout the course of it. But massive win for QPR, who are towards the bottom of the Championship. Yeah, really big win, to be fair. I'm just having a look at the table now. They're one point off um, Millwall, uh, who are just in 21st place. But yeah, weird for the Pyramid Pod Cup, really, isn't it? Because... <laughs> You've got 25 games unbeaten and I'm starting to think I'm going to buy the Southampton shirt because that's going to be my second team forever. And obviously Bristol City go and win it and then lose it straight away. Um, Liam Manning Liam Manning's admitted that they were piss poor really and it's a really disappointing result for them in their quest to potentially get in those playoff spots. They're at home, they're facing a relegation team. They need to go and win that game, don't they, if they want to be... Um, well, if they want to have any sort of uh, ambitions of going up, I mean, it's probably a little bit too much, really, for them. But yeah, look, exciting times for the Pyramid Pod Cup, and um, it's off to Loftus Road for us boys. Yeah, indeed. I think that they've got an absolutely massive game actually. QPR coming up at the weekend. I think it might be against Rotherham that they've got. Um, at home, obviously, though. right yeah. down there. Yeah, yeah. so. They'll, they'll be looking for that and to retain that. But then they do uh, go to Leicester. So if I was to predict the uh, future of the Premier Pod Cup, I would say that QPR might retain it against Rotherham, but then lose it up at Leicester. But, Lauro, this weekend, Leicester did something that they rarely do uh, this season and 
drop some points so just a little bit on that result for Middlesbrough but also do you from a Leeds point of view think that just cracks the door open a tiny ajar for a potential title tilt yes ladies and gentlemen welcome to the championship (laughs) title race 2023-24 let me tell you why let me back that up the point gap between Leicester and Leeds is now nine Leeds play Leicester Friday night at home we haven't lost at home this season all year So allow your mind to wander into a world where Leeds win on Friday night. The point gap is now six between Leeds and Leicester for the run into the season. Maybe even five if Southampton win their game in hand. All of a sudden, Leicester are playing their remainder games, or the remaining games, with something they haven't had to contend with all season, basically. And that's jeopardy. They're going into every game, being able to play freely, knowing that they can lose basically ten games in a row and still win the league. That is not possible now. The reason for it is because Southampton went 4,000 games unbeaten and Leeds have won seven in a row. It might even be eight in a row now with seven clean sheets in there. So fantastic Southampton, brilliant Leeds, fantastic Middlesbrough going to the King Power and getting all three at the weekend. And how does everyone fancy that title race if Leeds win on Friday? I think the door isn't ajar. It's blown wide open yeah I would have to agree with you Laura if you go and win on Friday then that is door blown open and that would make it so so exciting as you say that bit of jeopardy where suddenly you go one nil down in a fixture where they probably come back and win three one but they're one nil down and suddenly find out Leeds have gone one nil up somewhere or two nil up at home and cruising and suddenly as you say it's this pressure on Leicester that could potentially be the title race that uh we didn't know we were all getting and that but it makes it even more frustrating I always go I always talk about August at the start of this year, Daniel Farker knew we couldn't start really until September. If we could have just had everything settled, I know it was a, a necessary evil to get through. But if if we had got, I know if ifs and buts, but if we had got one or two more results there, we could be within touching distance after this weekend, even after Leicester being by far the best team we've ever seen in the Championship. That's how mad this league's been. Um, but for Leeds to win every single game in 2024, going into March... Is just incredible, isn't it? So what a game that is at Ellen Road Friday night. That'll be some atmosphere. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Laurie just touched on the other sides as well, Southampton and Ipswich, Tomo, and both of them picking up uh, wins away from home. So they're keeping their end of the bargain as well. So potentially Leeds might beat Leicester and, and say it's a full-blown title race. But if Southampton and Ipswich keep winning, then it's potentially a four-way race. Well, Southampton have got are two points behind Leeds with a game in hand. So, obviously, if they win their game in hand, then, yeah, it could be a three-way. Um, just a quick one, actually. I think it's, we've been incredibly harsh on Middlesbrough here. They've just done the double over Leicester, potentially the best ever championship side we've ever seen, and we've not really mentioned them. And, OK, they are lang- languishing in mid-table, but what a great result for them. And I'm just having a look at the stats now. And... I- they had five shots, 29% possession. It seems like they're almost a better team when they don't have clubs, or when they do exactly what they did to Leicester, um, when they don't face clubs who do that to them. Because they haven't got that number nine elite striker or the wingers like they did last year with Akpom and Archer and, and um, people like that. But they're really good at sitting in, 
soaking up the pressure and hitting you on the counter-attack. And that's what they've done to Leicester both times. Um, it's just when they go to like places like Rotherham or teams like that, and when they sit in, they really struggle. And that's probably where Michael Carrick's sides come unstuck this year and probably will come unstuck in their hunt for um, promotion playoff positions, really. Because other than that, they're quite good. They just need... They just need I just think they... They could have done with signing like a Kiefer Moore style player. He would have been a fantastic addition, but obviously he's gone to Ipswich and done well. Yeah. Congratulations to Middlesbrough on winning the done the double over Leicester Cup. I'm sure that will serve their fans <laughs> well, but unfortunately they're currently sat in the bottom half of the table, uh, below the likes of Bristol City and Sunderland, who have already sacked their managers this season, Sunderland now twice, for not being in the playoffs. So, um, bigger fish to fry for Michael Carrick and the boys at the Riverside if they want any huge congratulations from us. But I will thank them for doing the, the teams at the top a favour. Yeah, that, that's that's really patronising. But like, if if you listen, if you speak to Middlesbrough fans, which obviously I do because my missus is one, and I was um, I was up in Lancashire this weekend with quite a lot of um, season ticket holders and. I was asking him about Michael Carrick in this season because it's quite interesting, I think, his managerial reign. Because obviously last year, it was absolutely fantastic. Nearly got them promoted. This year has been completely the opposite, really. And I, I I said to them, who do you think Michael Carrick will still be your manager next season? And they, they still think he's really highly thought of. And it's just there's lots of context around this season. Loads of injuries, a couple of, a couple of bad sales, not great buys that have counted against him. So be interesting to see if maybe a Premier League team picks him up or whether because he's done quite poorly this year or because Middlesbrough have done poorly this year, he sticks, stays on and then they'll become um, promote. I'm having a look at you there looking at me funny, but they become promotion contenders again next season under Michael Carrick's stewardship. What do you reckon, Laura? I certainly don't think there'll be Premier League clubs slipping around just at the moment for guiding Middlesbrough to a bottom half finish. The context in which you just gave examples of injuries, a few poor buys and a few poor sales is fitness and recruitment, um, which needs to be on point and managers get blamed for and judged by. Um, I don't think Michael Carrick should be sacked. I'm not saying that. I think he's shown promise as a good young manager, but he's had one good season and one, what you'd have to say at the moment, is a poor season which can still be turned around we'll judge at the end of the season but if they don't make the playoffs this year I think we'll be under huge pressure to start well next season that's for sure so I wasn't trying to patronise Michael Carrick I think he's shown like I said good promise but we also need to be balanced in our views there's clubs in higher positions who have already sacked their managers for doing similar and uh, the proof will be in the pudding eventually having said that if they win a couple of games they'll be in the playoff hunt but I don't see them making it this season, to be honest with you. Well, one manager who certainly won't have Premier League team sniffing around him in the summer uh, is Michael Beale. He's left Sunderland today. Sunderland have actually announced that Mike Dodds is in for interim manager to the end of the season. That's actually the third time he's done that. He did it for a stint after Lee Johnson left, when Tony Mowbray left, and now Michael Beale leaving. But the one thing I would, maybe credit Sunderland with is I don't think that they're now 
rushing into a decision, Loro, to bring a new manager in till the end of the season. I think they're going to put their trust in Mike Dodds until the end of it and then make an informed decision in the summer uh, where maybe the kind of Mowry leaving the club and then Michael Beale coming in hasn't worked out. Um, they're just going to take a bit of time to assess in the summer. Yeah, I would credit them with making the decision to get rid of Michael Beale because if you sack a manager after eight weeks, you're basically putting your hands up and saying, we've made a massive mistake. So fair play for that. But on the flip side of that, they're four points off the playoffs. So, I mean... They're either saying they've got trust in Michael Dodds, is that his name, the assistant manager, yeah, to to go in and and be the man to take them towards um, a tilt uh, promotion again this season, or they're writing it off. And I certainly won't be writing off a season where there's still thirteen games to play, and you're only two games away from the playoffs in terms of good results. So interesting one, um, but I think we called it at the Birmingham one, and to probably a lesser extent, the Sunderland one. I mean, both of them sacked good managers that are doing well and brought in really underwhelming ones that everyone other than seemingly the people making the decisions could see was a poor fit. And, I mean, it's just been a disaster for, for Mick Bill. I mean, the, it looked horrible for him when Alex Pritchard just went, no, I'm not playing anymore. Um take me out of the contention for squads and sell me. And then he went to Birmingham the next day. I mean, when something like that happens, I think there's been something with Trey Hume as well. It just looks like he lost the dressing room within a month of being there. And uh, unfortunately, the writing's on the wall when that happens. So I don't think he'll be getting a job in the championship or above anytime soon. Might see him swan in abroad or something, or maybe take a chance in League One. But uh, big, big, big club there and a good set of players for the right manager to go in and do well with. But um, yeah, they just make some weird decisions, Sunderland, and hopefully the next one will be a better one. I think the interesting thing, I think Michael Bill will go back as to be an assistant. I think his like uh, managerial career has been an absolute shambles, really, so far. And that little video clip on the weekend of him subbing off a player and the player going to um, high-five him, I guess, or shake his hand to say, like, well done or whatever, and him completely ignoring him just sums it up. However inadvertent that might be, and however sort of bad it makes Michael Bill look, um, because obviously he might not have just seen him, but it just sums up that whole eight games, 12 weeks, whatever it was that he had in charge. I think it was 12 games, wasn't it? And um, yeah, he just comes across like a pound shop, Brendan Rogers, And uh, I don't, I think it's, he comes across like it's like I am the saviour and you don't, t- and he doesn't feel like he takes players with him. And it's almost like he's, this is obviously just from an outsider's point of view and you're just looking at his, uh, his press conferences, etc., and he he comes across a bit David Brentish and and just very much like, look at me, look at me, and the reality of those players are like, well, what have you ever done for me? He's it's a shambles, and I I generally I think now that he'll go back and be like he could even be like Stephen Gerrard's assistant manager at El Atifak. Um, I can't see him getting a, a good job in this country or in Scotland for a, for a while, for sure. 
Yeah, I think he's believed his own hype. If you go back to the start of last season, obviously he left Aston Villa um, and Stephen Gerrard to take over at Queen's Park Rangers. And what happened was Aston Villa, I don't know if you can remember, were awful under Steven Gerrard. And at the same time, QPR started the season really, really well. They were like top of the league after like five, six games. Michael Beale was getting linked with Wolves, got offered the job there. And it looked from a neutral's point of view, like this guy was the reason that Gerrard had all of his success in Rangers. So Michael Beale comes out and publicly turns down the Wolves job, doesn't he? He says, no, 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 I've got business to attend to at QPR. A couple games later, realises he's got an awful deck of hands with a shit squad there, really, at QPR, um, in comparison to a lot of the top sides in the championship, and then just jumps at the chance to go back to Rangers. And then it all falls apart, doesn't it? Because he's lost a little bit of respect from probably people in the game and the neutral that heard him say that he wasn't going to leave because he had business to attend to, and then just jumped a few weeks later to Rangers. And then when you're at Rangers... um, there's only one job, isn't there, to be better than Celtic? And he was probably miles and miles away from how good they were under Steven Gerrard there, and he lost all of the stock that he built. So the next job after that was always going to be a big one. And uh, unfortunately, it's gone negatively for him. So rebuilding, at the very least, to be done for Mick Beale. Yeah, definitely. Although, Tom, you say that he probably won't get another job uh, in sort of manager in English football, but these club owners seem to have like goldfish memories, don't they? Where someone in League One will just be like, oh, we'll have Mick Bill because he's managed in the championship before. They just rinse and repeat these cycles of managers coming in and then having to sever their contracts, get a payout. And yeah, as say he'll be back I, in a job soon enough. I, look, I'm I, I inclined to agree with you there. Like obviously owners make terrible decisions all the time, but there is now enough evidence where okay he did okay like Laura says he did an okay job at QPR until he left but he left and that really tainted his reputation I believe amongst um, most football fans and let's not let's have it right most football owners are football fans as well and it's really tainted his reputation and then obviously the Rangers gig terrible Sunderland gig terrible so there's enough evidence now to suggest that he's not just not a good manager. And I really find it hard to believe that anyone in League One or League Two would give him a chance. Um, like Gloria says, he needs he needs um, a period of rebuilding. Well, one man who's got a massive opportunity now is this Mike Dodds. As you say, if they haven't written off the season because they're still well within the playoff contention, they're going to give him to the end of the season. If he goes and gets them to the playoffs even leads him to the dreamland of the premiership if they sneak sixth and go up through then he'll probably in his own right or even if he has a good end to the season if he's been there years done it three times as interim and he's a trusted hand he might be one of those interims who suddenly steps up into management and gets the job full time so massive opportunity for him before the news had broken that he was going to be made interim as well Sunderland fan that that I know had message saying just give it to Mike Dodds to the end of the season so They've done that. That's probably a popular choice with the fans. And let's see how he can get on now between now and, uh, and May and those last sort of 15 games and see if Sunderland can creep into that fifth or sixth position and uh, and have a tilt at the playoffs. Well, if you remember rightly, they he guided Sunderland to a win over Leeds and West Brom in his three games in charge um, before they appointed McBeal. So obviously, he's got something about him. 
quite often these clubs have the have these kind of coaches who have been at the club for a long time and obviously live in the area. Like they're what I'd sort of describe as those feel good coaches who come in and make everyone feel good about themselves, but potentially in the long run might not have that killer instinct to fall out with everyone if he needs to. So, but yeah, look, interesting times. And I, I, I know what you're saying about they maybe need to take stock in the summer, but I agree with Laura completely. There's so much of the season left that they could still go up. It's crazy. They've had three managers now and they could still go up. Yeah, we said last week, didn't they? They lose every single game, Sunderland, but are always in eighth or ninth place. It's absolutely madness. But yeah, we'll see how they get on. Boys, just before we move on to League One, just a bit of sad news. Um, Tony Mowbray has taken ill. Uh, he's going to have a period of time out. I think six to eight weeks he's due to uh, be off now um, with, with an illness. And I think Birmingham had tweeted it that that was going to be the case. So just well wishes from everyone at the pod uh, for him and hope he gets better soon. Let's move on to League One then. Tomo, Portsmouth uh, back on top. Other teams dropping points around them. And they had a tr- what looked a tricky fixture against Reading because both had, uh, were unbeaten in five and were two of the form teams in the league, but went and won 4-1 uh, and cemented their uh, their place at the top of League One. Yeah, Colby Bishop with his 16th of the, of the season. 4-1 probably looks a lot easier than, than it did. They were 4-0 up as well, but... I'm just having a look at the stats and Reading have more possession, more shots, same shots on target. So like you said, it was probably a difficult game, even though they battered them. So yeah, that blip has completely been reversed now and they look like, um, they look like very, the momentum's back with them, them and Derby to get promoted um, automatically. Yeah. So well done. Is it, is it John Martinia? Messina, Messina, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's his first managerial gig, and he steered them clear from that blip that we spoke a lot about, and the fans giving Colby Bishop stick. Remember, he scored a goal um, and refused to celebrate because they're all giving him so much stick, and he's just gone and scored his 16th for the season. There, they've won four-one, and obviously back on top, back in form. Um, happy days for them. Yeah. Terrible blip, wasn't it? I mean, I think at one point they were only two points clear at the top. They almost almost got relegated, <laughs> didn't they, at one point? So, uh, yeah, credit to everyone down at Fratton Park, loyal fans. <laughs> uh, in second place, our derby, though, they won 1-0 versus Stevenage. I saw the Stevenage gaffer, Evan, saying afterwards that they were a bit hard done by down at derby, but big result for them against a side who were in and amongst the playoff pitcher in seventh place, Stevenage. Side in third place, Bolton, they dropped some points, actually. They drew three all with Charlton, so maybe a bit of a light um, starting to show there for Charlton with Nathan Jones. They're actually only one point now inside the relegation zone because Tomo will come on to it in a minute, but Cheltenham won again uh, against Port Vale, Darren Moore's Port Vale, another manager, a bit like this Michael Bill, as I say, rinse and repeat, get another job. Um, but yeah, they, um, they won again, but Bolton dropped some points there. Uh, and Peterborough, Peterborough have lost four in a row now. A couple of weeks ago, it looked like they were absolutely flying, picking up wins, starting to move towards the uh, automatics. They went and won away at Derby on New Year's Day um, and then got spun by Leeds in the FA Cup and didn't really recover from there. They've lost their last four, so not going well for them. But Tomo, just on Cheltenham, a team that you've um, 
we've obviously spoken about on a few pods and you've said that they're starting to move through the uh, right way through the table and potentially going to somehow make the great escape and another another three points at the weekend. Yeah, and a good game as well. 3-2, um, third win in a row, one point off safety now. Um, but they completely deserve the win, absolutely smashed them stats-wise. Ten more shots than them, a couple more shots on target. He's doing an unbelievable job, isn't he? Because it was doom and gloom for them. But actually, just quickly, before we moved on to the relegation sort of um, race, I wanted to bring up the fact, did you, did you boys see Derby's new sign-in? Oh, do I, uh, Dwight Gale. Yeah. They've signed Dwight Gale until the end of the season, which I think is an unbelievable signing. Yeah. Um, because we, we like to speak a lot about the Dwight Gale club and the, the, the players who have too good for the championship, not, not quite good enough for the Premier League. Well, obviously, he's a little bit older now um, and he might be too good for League One, not quite good enough for the championship, but I'm sure it'll be banging in the goals for Derby. Um, between now and the end of the season. Definitely. League two, boys, and the league that just keeps on giving. Uh, Stockport, top of the table, back in decent form, scoring goals, decide to go to Tranmere and get beat 4-0 by a side in 17th place. Not in much form. Nigel Adkins not particularly got them going too much, Tranmere. They had 39% possession. Yeah, and just spin the leaders 4-0. Unbelievable result for them, Tomo. Yeah, I, I, this result completely bypassed me, but I'm just having a look now. And yeah, okay, they had 40% possession, but more shots, more shots on target, more corners. It wasn't like a smashing grab 4-0, if there could ever be such a thing. But yeah, fucking hell, that is a mental league. And then you look at Mansfield, who last time out went and beat Harrogate, who are in the playoff pitch and 9-2. They decide to go to Warsaw and lose 2-1. A Warsaw side who are in 16th place, one one position above Tranmere. So you'd have looked at those two games, been like Stockport-Mansfield, absolute bankers away from home. And both just get spun. Crazy league. One other game just to touch on. Wrexham won. Uh, Tomo won nil against Notts County. Steve Fletcher scoring again for them. Yeah, that's a big win for them, isn't it? Obviously, that's the, uh, what would you call it? The National League derby from last year. Um, bit of a big rivalry. I think I spoke before about the um, the documentary series and uh, the Hollywood owners of Wrexham asked Notts County if they could come on the documentary and they just replied, fuck off, basically. <laughs> um, so, obviously, a little bit of needle there. So, yeah, big win, big win for um, my my second club as Laurie likes to um, refer to Wrexham and uh, yeah onwards and upwards for them I think the top three is the top three now I think that's it I think in the next couple of weeks we'll see Stockport Mansfield and Wrexham cut the rest adrift those three will go up automatically and then there is an almighty scramble from probably anyone 19th and up to get in those last couple of um, playoffs spaces everyone's got half a chance there Salford won again Matt Smith scored a brace another good win for Kyle Robinson yeah I'm glad um, you glad you said that Lauren Kyle Robinson won again 5-3 versus Barrow who are sat in the playoffs in 6th place he's just yeah. gone round there and completely transforms that side 
exactly. I was going to say as well, I, I was just going to say then, that's a rare case of like a fantastic appointment from um, Gary Neville in the class of 92, but also a fantastic decision from him to take that job because Salford, there was really only one way Salford could go because they're a promotion contender's side with a promotion contender's budget and they were really struggling under Wood. So, and they were, okay, they may have had a slight nervousness about where they were on the table about going the other way relegation-wise, but it seems like they they were at their lowest ebb, if you will, when he took over and he's done obviously a fantastic job. Don't know what Laura's about to say, maybe eight or nine games unbeaten now since he's taken over. Okay, there's a couple of, there's quite a few draws in there as well, but great, great appointment and um, I think a good decision from him to take that job as well. Yeah, definitely a good decision from both parties there. And I think if you're someone like Kyle Robinson, you're probably looking like most of us are at League Two now, thinking that's a really good league that's getting a lot of attention and the pathway is there to go straight back up to another big team if you do really well. Look at uh, Luke Williams, who did brilliantly with Notts County in the National League and did fairly well in League Two as well. And now he's the manager of Swansea in the Championship. So football's a funny game. It can change quickly. But, I mean, Salford are 19th with a minus eight goal difference. They must have been awful before he went in there because I'm not. he's hardly lost a game. He's got the second top goal scorer in the league and they're still in that position. Um, so it's probably annoying for the Salford fans. They haven't got two, you know, one or two more wins in there because otherwise the playoffs are really on. But as it is, nine points off, still with 13 games to go, 39 points to play for. I'm sure he's got one eye on it. But uh, for him, probably just... Keep winning the next game and see where it takes you. That's absolutely that's absolutely insane. They are nineteenth in the league, and I'm looking at them now, thinking they definitely could be could sneak into the playoffs, and they're nineteenth in the league. Yeah, nine points off that. Yeah, they do go to Mansfield next weekend, who are obviously in second, but obviously, see, they are uh, not unbeatable, Mansfield. So if he goes and beats them then that might be a real sort of uh, jump up and uh, take account of the potential of Salford going up in towards those playoff positions and then just one other fixture just to touch on again boys is Harrogate who were in an 11 goal thriller against Mansfield I say thriller lost 9-2 they then went and drew 0-0 with Crew, um, which just about sums League 2 up I would say Move on, Laurie, I want to touch on uh, Yeovil. So I was lucky enough to go up at the weekend uh, with you and watch it, but just a little bit on the 1-0 victory versus Haven't and Waterlooville. And then we'll move on to uh, midweek fixture, please, against Western Supermare. It's very much, for me, turned into the stage of the season where we're more bothered just about grinding out the wins rather than too much entertaining. To be fair, on Saturday, it was horrible conditions. Um, we've got quite a lot of injuries at the moment. Charlie Cooper's out, Reese Murphy's out, Jake Hyde's out. And although we've got a lot of good players on the pitch, Frank Newble's kind of having to lead the line with Sam Pearson, who's more of a winger every single game at the moment. And although you can probably, if you're a neutral, look at the National League South and think, oh, well, Yobo are a big side, they should smash it to pieces regardless. There are some decent teams and you've still got a work hard to create your chances. So 1-0 against a team in Haven who are 23rd in the league, but actually are one of the best sides I've seen this season, both home and away. The beat us at their place. 
Um, I was happy with the three points. And the gap's still 10 points, but Worthing just keep on winning in second place and they're keeping us honest. So we can't let up. And tomorrow we host Western Supermare, who um, are obviously quite a local side to us. We beat them 3-2 at their place. That win at their place was actually the start of that 14-game winning spell that we had at the start of the season. So good memories there. It was also the sort of ignition, I think, of Jordan Young's form. Um, or rise to prominence as probably the best player in the league, or at least one of them. So good memories from playing them. It was boiling hot there at the start of the season. I think it'll be the polar opposite tomorrow. And if we get another three points, games are starting really to run out, um, aren't they, for, for the chasing pack. So fingers crossed. Worthing must be looking, thinking, how on earth we ran into this Yeovil side? They've got Ollie Pierce up front, I think, is getting close, if not already hit 30 goals for the season. They seem to win every week, but they're still 10 points off Yeovil, aren't they? And potentially Yeovil can extend that tomorrow night. So, yeah, they must be uh, sick that they've ran into this Glover side. Yeah, shout out Ollie Pierce, actually. The Worthing striker, 32 goals in 31 games. He's got a goal every 75 minutes. Um, the large majority of those goals as well have come since like October. I don't think he started the season overly on fire. He must have missed quite a, a few minutes because um, 31 and 32 should be a goal every 90 minutes, but it's 75. So there's obviously a spell where he was coming off the bench, maybe coming back from injury. The next highest goal scorer in, league, in the National League South is Sean Jefferson at St. Albans on 16. So 50% of what uh, Pierce has got so that just shows what a player he is and uh, yeah unbelievable that he hasn't been snapped up by a, a, a higher side really um, but yeah what great player and a good little team Worthing I went to Worthing away this season I like the setup one of the better ones we went to play good football and as you say unfortunately they've ran into Oval this year but surely strong favourites for the playoffs I think Pierce someone who Yeovil might have a look up look at if they go up to the next league Loro in National League like a bit like Macaulay Langstaff where he seems to be rising up through the leagues do you think you will look at Pierce and be like potentially he could lead the line for us in National League I think a lot of teams will be I hope Yeovil are um, the, I think the word on the street with Ollie Pierce because he's been quite good for a number of years now Ollie Pierce at Worthing I think the word on the street is and this is quite often the case with part-time footballers at that level is that he's got quite a decent job like day job so he's earning good money doing whatever he's doing, and then he's probably picking up X amount from Worthing every week, and it would only really make sense for him to jack in his actual job and move for a proper full-time yeah. gig at a, a, a club that are going to pay him proper wages. And as he's already, I think, 28, he's probably only got three or four years um, where he can probably produce at the level he is now, maybe a bit more than that, um, and then what? So I can understand that frame of mind but at the same time if I was him I would just go and see how high you can get because he's a goal scorer that's for sure yeah indeed Rilo we'll finish with you as well this week uh, on this week's trivia please okay there are only four players to make 150 Premier League appearances whose surname only contains two letters so as an example something that would be wrong Charlie Adam, his surname's got three letters in A, D, and M. It can only uh, okay. contain two. Yeah, I thought it was just letters. two letters. No, two different letters. So if your surname was Abba, ba, 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 it can have 20 letters in it, but there's only two actual <laughs> letters in it. That would count. Do you know what I mean? 
So there are four players <laughs> yeah, with you. There are four players whose surname contains only two different variety of letter that have made 150 Premier League appearances. I'm asking our listeners, can they name them? Love it. Well, we will be back on Thursday uh, where we will reveal the answer to that. But yeah, get in on the uh, comments on Twitter and, and let us know your thoughts on that one, guys. We'll wrap up there. I say be back Thursday. Uh, reflect on some of the midweek action. Look ahead to the upcoming weekend action. And we might have a special guest for everyone. But we'll wrap it up there. Cheers, guys. Cheers, boys. One, two, three.